Well, it's so good to see you on this Sunday morning. Y'all look, give yourselves a round of applause because y'all look good this morning. So, man, y'all don't, y'all don't think much of yourselves. <laughs> we'll try that. No, I'll get you next week. You'll, you'll pick up on it. It's so good to see you. So glad you're here spending part of your weekend, best day of the week, here with us at Skyline Church. We're, I'm excited you're here because we're jumping into a brand new uh, message series today called Fierce Jesus. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying and believing that it's going to be uh, life-changing for us. It's going to be eye-opening for us, uh, new for our faith. And I'm just I'm just pumped and so glad you're here. And listen, if you're new with us, I just want to say welcome. So glad that you're here. If you're checking us out, hope that you stopped by our tent on the way in and got a gift just for being here. We're honored that you're here with us, spending your spending your time with us this weekend. All right, we're going to jump in. So get something to write on, write with, jot some notes down on you, get your phone. You can get our app out. You can get the Bible app out, find us on there. But we want you to, to write some things down. Listen, we don't, we don't just encourage you to lean in and participate when we sing. We encourage you to lean in and participate during this part too because the, the, the word of God is living and active and wants to speak to you today. And listen, you can actually help me preach better. When y'all lean in and participate, I get better at what I do. So uh, the less you participate, the worse this is going to be for you, okay? That's how this is going to work. So so glad that you're here. Part one of this series that we're calling uh, Fierce Jesus. And I just want, I want to kind of just preface this entire series uh, with this thought, this idea. Can we stop pretending that Jesus is safe like that, that's what I want, I, I want us to stop pretending that Jesus is safe. Because the reality is, is we, we like our heroes better safe. And most of the time we like our heroes better after they're gone. And so we create like this, this fabricated version of our heroes. It's like a, it's a certain version of them and it's safe and it doesn't offend us and it's very sanitized and, and watered down. They, they kind of become a mascot and you know, like they've got a few sayings, you know, you get like a little plush toy and they got a pull string and, and they got a couple of catchphrases that they say over and as though that's the only thing they ever said. I just want to tell you that, that Jesus is not a pull string doll, doll with a couple of catchphrases. That, 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 that's, not who, that's not who Jesus is, and he doesn't just say things that we want to hear. And if we're not careful, we, we only pay attention to the, the things that we like, and then we disregard the things that are difficult or the things that are challenging, um, and, 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 and we miss those things. And if we're not careful, we get this watered-down version of Jesus. And then what ends up happening is, is we open up his word, and we read through the Gospels, and then we hear him say some things, and we're like, uh, I, I don't remember Jesus ever saying, Jesus just said, turn the other cheek. Je Jesus only ever said, go the extra mile. Jesus only ever said, love your neighbor as yourself, but then you go through, and you see that he called a, a group of religious people a brood of vipers. I want that plush toy of Jesus. When I squeeze him, he just shouts, you brood of vipers. That's the one I want. We've got to be careful that we, that we really understand, and like we have to know what he said, what, what he was passionate. Jesus walked into church one day. They called it the temple, but we'll call it the church. Jesus walked into the church one day, and, and, and he stumbled upon, he came, and there were poor people being exploited. And they're being exploited because they were being sold um, items for sacrifices at a marked up price. And so he walks in, and, and, they're, and they're being exploited, and he sees that the church at the time really didn't, they cared more about the prophet than they did the presence of God. And so they're taking advantage of people. You know what Jesus did? He just said a nice little prayer. He posted about it. No, 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 no. Fierce Jesus rolled into the church and started flipping tables over on people. 
Jesus grabbed a whip and whipped people out of the church. That is what, when Jesus saw his people being exploited, he did something about it. Jesus was just nice and warm and fuzzy feelings and, and it's nice and hugs and kids. No, 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 no. Fear, like, G, Jesus got so mad at the grave that he defeated it. He got so upset with death that he overturned it for us. Like, like you read the story, Jesus went into the tomb, which was a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to stay in there. It said that, I love the details that scripture gives us because it tells us in the gospels that when Jesus, they, they put him in burial clothes because that's what you did. And so they buried him. And when he, when he resurrected from the dead, when he defeated death and defeated the grave for us, he got up and it says that he folded the linens that he was wrapped in. You want to know why he folded them? I can tell you. Because in that day, if you were at a meal, if you were at someone's home, and you got up from the table, you folded the linen to tell them, hey, I'm coming back. So Jesus, when he gets there, he doesn't just toss the linens aside. He folds them, sets them down, says, hey, I'm coming back. I got work I got to do. That's the Jesus that we, we have to know and worship. And, and he, listen, here's why, here's why it matters. Because the version of Jesus that you worship determines the follower of Jesus you become. And so if the, if the version of Jesus that, that we follow is, is nice and rainbows and peace and, and unicorns and happiness and, and fuzzy, warm feelings all the time, get that, that's the version of a disciple that you're going to become. And if we forget that Jesus was, was so passionate about people that he was willing to go to his death, what if, the, what if we as followers of Jesus had the same heart that he had, had the same passion for people that he had, that I was willing to go to my death for somebody? Because that's the, G, that when, the full picture of Jesus is what, is what we need, and that's, that's what I hope will happen here in this series. Basically what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in a couple of different places in the Gospel of Mark over the coming weeks as we lead up towards Easter. We're just gonna take. We're gonna get some glimpses of fierce Jesus all throughout the Gospel of Mark, and I'm really hoping that as you're here and you don't miss a single week of it, and you and you stick with it, and you're here, that it's gonna begin to transform your view and understanding of Jesus. So today we're just gonna start in Mark chapter one. We're gonna camp out right in the beginning. We're gonna take 15 verses, and we're just gonna stay right there and pull out some truth out of out of that about about Jesus and and what that means for us. So Mark chapter one, we're just gonna pick up in the beginning. It says in the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ. The Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I love that Mark doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke start with the birth of Jesus. Mark says, hey, the gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus, and skips his birth. And I think maybe perhaps because he doesn't want us to get stuck in that version of Jesus. There was a movie probably about 10, 15 years ago, uh, a guy named Ricky Bobby, and he would say, I love sweet baby Jesus. I love, I love, I love my Jesus as a baby, six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. The reality is that some of us live with that picture of Jesus, the, the safe, secure version. And Mark says, no, 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 I don't want you to have that. You, you're not going to get 
sweet baby Jesus. We're going to jump right in to the work of what Jesus is doing. And what I, Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the oldest. It was written first. And it informs a lot of the, a bunch of the other Gospels. And, um, but but Mar- what you'll notice about Mark is that Mark is in a hurry. Mark spends a whole bunch of time showing us what Jesus did, not telling us what he did. So Mark is all about demonstration, not explanation. Because in his mind, that was more important. Listen to me. I know people who could explain Jesus till they're blue in the face, but every single day they come home from work, they're mean and nasty to their wife and kids. Why would you want a version of Jesus that you can explain but doesn't impact your life? And so Mark is not interested in explaining. Mark is interested in demonstrating the life and the work and the power of Jesus. And so we pick up and he says, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I love this. John's crazy. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey full of gluten. I threw that in for y'all. That's okay. It says, and this was his message. After me will come one who is more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased at once the spirit sent him into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan he was with the wild animals and angels attended him after John was in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God the time has come he said the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. You know, one of the one of the great things that you can do when you're reading scripture, I, I like doing this, and it can be it might be helpful for you, is to notice patterns. When you notice things kind of like on repeat in scripture, it's a good thing to kind of pay attention to. So there's something that's really intriguing here, and it helps us understand that that Mark is all about demonstrating, that Mark wants to get moving. So uh, th- I picked this up in these these verses. In this passage we just read, in verse 4, you, you'll see that it says that someone came or that someone is coming over and over and over again. Verse 4 says that John came. In verse 7, he says, after me, one will come. Verse 9, it says that Jesus came. Verse 11, a voice came from heaven. Verse 13, and then angels came and attended him. It's just like constant action in Mark's gospel. That's what he's wanting us to see. And in this beautiful picture, God the Father validates his son, Jesus, in the midst of everything that's going on. Listen, before there were any miracles, but before Jesus taught, before he did anything, as he gets into the waters of baptism, his, his father is, is validating him. And, and so John shows up, we, right? We read Mark, it said that John shows up in the wilderness, and he's there preparing the way for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and it says that he comes from Nazareth. So it's the beginning of Mark. It says Jesus comes from Nazareth. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life in Nazareth. That means absolutely nothing to you. Unless maybe, you, you know, you read the, the birth story of Jesus at, at Christmas time. But, but Nazareth doesn't really, we don't really understand what Nazareth is. Uh, but Nazareth was the kind of place, um, it, it was a no-name place for no-name people. 
that nobody came from Nazareth. Nothing came out of Nazareth. Jesus came from the most unexpected place in the world. No one would have thought that. Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity in Nazareth. In fact, so much so about Nazareth, this is what people thought of it. There was a saying that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is how little people thought of this place. Can anything good come out of this place? Like, and so Jesus shows up and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. His authority doesn't match his background. His authority doesn't match where, where he came from. Like people don't plan their vacations in Nazareth. You don't go, it would have made all the sense in the world if Jesus came from Jerusalem. The center of culture and influence and power. But Jesus comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This season of preparation. And this, I, I want to tell you that first thing is this, that fulfilling your purpose will always require seasons of preparation. That there will always be, see, if you want to fulfill the calling of God on your life, there will always be seasons of preparation. And, but let's be honest. The Gospel of John starts this way. It says that, that in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. So in the beginning, at creation, Jesus was there. So it's not as though when Jesus is born to Mary in Nazareth, it's not as though he's just showing up on the scene for the first time. He's got some years under his belt, like before he shows up. In fact, Colossians in, in, in chapter 1 says that all things, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, were made through him and by him and for him. Jesus had a track record before he showed up. But even Jesus went through a season of preparation to fulfill his purpose. And, and if Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, God with us, had a season of preparation in order to fulfill his purpose, why do we think we don't need one? Why do I think I can just show up and make it and be approved and have everything I need without any kind of preparation in my life? I was on staff at a church for 13 years before we moved here. The, the, the church that, that sent us out, helped us plant. I was on staff there for 13 Do you know what I did there when I was on staff for 13 years? Everything. Name it. I did it. I was a middle school pastor, even though I didn't want to be one. High school pastor, uh, small group pastor, uh, children's pastor. I mean, you name it, I did it. And what I did not know in that season until I got here is the 13 years of doing any and everything under the sun was a season of preparation. So when we moved, when my family uprooted and moved here, and we began to recruit a team and say, hey, let's start dreaming about what church could look like and, and people far from God coming back to his house, and we began to train. This is what children's ministry looks like. Guess what I had? I had years of preparation getting me ready to ultimately fulfill. Those 13 years were spent preparing so I could fulfill the calling on my life. It's a season of, of preparation. So Jesus spends 30 years in a place that no one would ever want to go to. Ever want to visit. He spent 30 years in a no-name place for no-name people. Can anything good come from Nazareth? What I want to tell you is that preparation often takes place in obscurity. Pre preparation doesn't take place on stage. Preparation doesn't take place in front of people. Preparation takes place in obscurity when you're hidden, when you're not in front of everybody. And so Jesus spends 30 years in obscurity. Some of us want our preparation back. I'll, I'll give it two months and then I'm done. And I'm ready. Jesus spent 30 years 
preparing to fulfill his calling. And all of it took place in obscurity. There were no name place. And so often preparation will take place in places we never wanted to be. Or never imagined that we'd end up. And some of us are in that place. You are in your Nazareth right now. And you're thinking, can anything good come from the place that I'm in? Can, any, can anything good come from me losing my job? Could, could anything good come from being in middle school? Could, could anything good come from, from my depression? Could anything good come from my divorce? Could anything good come from the place that I'm in? And listen, what I want to tell you is that Jesus takes the most unlikely places and fulfills the greatest purposes. Jesus came from nowhere and fulfilled the greatest purpose. And so Jesus takes our most unlikely places, the places we never wanted to be, and fulfills our And let, listen, here's the deal. Preparation we, we, we hate preparation. It's like the opposite of what we value today. We want instant. We, everything's got to be quick. It's got to be fast. It's got to be now. I can't wait. I got to have it. Here's a small example. And this is not a bad example. This is just, this is just an example. It used to take, sometimes it used to take hours uh, to, to prepare your dinner. To season and cook and the crock pot and the oven. And I can't wait that long. I need an instant pot. I don't have three hours. I need 30 minutes. So we get it instantly. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great. It's awesome. But that's how we want everything else. We want everything else to be instant. There is no, listen to me, there is no shortcutting the process of preparation for your calling. There just isn't. And so we, we, we've got to get to a place where, where we value the season of preparation in our life. Because it's normally only after the preparation that you can look back and be like, oh, okay, now, now I know what was going on. But there will be. If you're going to fulfill a great call, listen to me, every single one of you, whether you've heard it or not, you have a God-given redemptive purpose on your life. And in order for you to fulfill it, it will always require seasons of preparation and getting ready for it. So, so Jesus shows up. We'll pick back up in the story. Jesus shows up out of nowhere from a no-name place, and, and, he's, and he shows up to John as he's baptizing people. And John's confused. Like, he's baptized by John. And honestly, it's confusing. Because, like, you think about it, aren't we supposed to get baptized for the repentance of our sins? Like, so why is Jesus, the sinless one, going to John in order to be baptized? Like, it's, it's, it's confusing as you look at this process. And, and I love it because there's really this, you have to understand, John, I mean, John was, John was crazy. I mean, he's got camel hair and eating honey and locusts, and he's just baptized. I mean, he's dunking people, lining them up. The whole, what says, the whole countryside showed up. So John's going one by one, dunking them in the Jordan. And in fact, it tells us that one of the times he was doing that, when Jesus shows up, the religious people are off looking because they can't stand that people are coming to John and not going to them. And so he looks up in the middle of dunking them and goes, hey, you brood of vipers. There it is again. I I'm going to start saying that from now on. So G John is just dunking people, and then Jesus rolls up on the scene. And Jesus is like, hey, I, ne I need you to baptize me. And I love it because, again, Mark is in a hurry. Mark doesn't give us all the details. Mark is trying to, to, so we don't get all the commentary in Mark, but we do get it from some other gospels. So Matthew, we get some understanding of Matthew. Jesus shows up, and in Matthew's account, John says, no, 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 no. You should be the one baptizing me. I I I'm not worthy to, to untie your shoes. And so, one of the things you'll notice when, when you come every week to this series is that one of the Mark's favorite words is immediately or suddenly or quickly. And so he's just moving. He's just moving. He's just moving. So we'll forgive him for not giving us all the details. 
because Matthew helps us out. So, so we're trying to understand. John's like, why in the world would you come to me to be baptized? And Jesus says, hey, I'm here because it's got to be done to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus says, I need to be baptized because of obedience. I can imagine Jesus should say, you're right, I should be the one baptizing you. But because it was written and to fulfill what was written, I am going to do this out of obedience. And so, yes, there's seasons of preparation. But secondly, fulfilling your purpose will always require obedience. Their obedience will always be involved in you stepping into your God-given purpose. And if there's a word in this culture that we like any less than preparation, it's obedience. You don't tell, you, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. You're not going to. But here's what you have to understand is that Jesus' power was in, the, was in submission to the will of his Father. Jesus' power was in, was in obedience to his Father's will. Jesus says, I, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but I have to do this because of obedience. I have to take this step to fulfill what was written. I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It's been written, so it has to be done. And so John doesn't argue, and he just does it. And so John baptizes him, and then like we read, Jesus is coming up out of the water, and as he's coming up out of the water, a dove starts coming down from heaven. We see heaven be torn open, and, and a voice starts speaking, and at this moment, God the Father validates his son. And it's very different from what we see. It's much more personal. If you fast forward in the Gospels, there's this thing called the transfiguration. And so Jesus is with three of his disciples. He's with Peter, James, and John. And they, and, and, and they get to see a vision of Jesus being transfigured, and in that moment, a voice from heaven, his father says to the disciples, this is my son, and in him I am well pleased. You should basically do whatever he says. It's kind of the, the, the Jeff paraphrased version. But this is very different. At Jesus' baptism, it's very personal. And instead of talking to the crowd saying, this is my son, he looks at his son and goes, you are my son. And in you I am well pleased. And I love you. And so there's this very personal validation that, that happens for Jesus in this moment. He's being valid. Now listen to me. Unfortunately, what we want is a lot of the time, we want validation before obedience. Well, I, 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 want, the, I want the recommendation. I, I want the validation before I'm willing to be obedient. But validation does not come before obedience. It come, we want the after without the before. I, I want what takes place after but before I do it. But he, it's also important to note this, that at this moment, as Jesus is being validated by his heavenly father, Jesus has not healed anybody. He has not taught anything. He has not caused anyone blind to bring their sight back. He's not caused anyone lame to walk. He has not raised anybody from the dead. He has not taught with such authority that a house was so jam-packed full that they brought a paralyzed man and dug a hole in the roof to get him down to see Jesus. None of that had happened. But before Jesus did anything, he was validated. Because God doesn't validate the way that we do. We validate, you, people will validate you based on what you can produce. People will validate you based on what you bring to the table in order, in order to help benefit them. But God validates based on relationship. He didn't validate what Jesus would do. He validated who Jesus was. 
It's important to understand this because some of us will spend our entire lives looking for validation in what I can accomplish. And you just need to hear me today that no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself, you are validated by God because you are his son, you are his daughter. He put his image and his spirit and his person inside of you. You are validated and worthy. Why? Because of relationship. Because Jesus doesn't validate on performance. He validates on relationship. God will never love you any more than he loves you in this moment. In this moment, you are loved, you are healed, you are freed, you are saved. That will never change. You are validated and loved in this moment. Jesus did not perform, Jesus did not fulfill his calling for acceptance. Jesus fulfilled his calling from acceptance. From a place of, listen, because here's what happens. When you know that someone more important already accepts you and validates you, it makes the opinions of others mean nothing. I struggled whether or not I would say this this way, but I'm going to do it. Um, the truth is, in all reality, like, like when I'm healthy, when I'm in a good place, I don't honestly care what you think about me or what you think about what I'm saying right now. I don't. You know why? Because I already know I've been validated by my Heavenly Father. And more important than that, the person who knows me best, the person who has spent most of her life with me, if she can stare at me in the face and say, honey, what you did was right, it was, it, was, it was obedient, it was in line with your character, and she approves of me, I honestly don't care what you think. Now, don't get me wrong, I love you, and I'm in covenant relationship with you. I would die for you, but my validation doesn't come from you. My validation, it comes from your heavenly father. Listen, receive God's validation or you will need from people what they aren't capable of giving you. How are they ever going to love you unconditionally? They don't even like themselves. You've got to receive it from Jesus. And listen, the voice of validation comes after obedience. Not before work, not because of work, but because of Obedience. We pick up verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. As Jesus was walking in obedience, as Jesus was doing what he was supposed to do, heaven is, oh, he gets this vision, a voice speaks. He heard a voice, but it doesn't, that doesn't happen until he's already been in the water and on his way up. After he was already obedient enough to go under the water, representing his death. As he's coming up, representing his resurrection, his father from heaven looks down and says, I'm so proud of you. You're my son who I love and I'm so pleased. And as he comes up, a dove comes down. As he comes up, a dove, when he fulfilled what was spoken in obedience, he came up. Listen, and the the dove also, all throughout scripture represents peace. Always, peace, 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 peace. The dove represents peace. And the reality is, though, we, we want God to give us peace about a decision that we know we need to make, but before I'm willing to be obedient. I, I want the peace before. I, I want the peace of God before I'm willing to be obedient to what he has to say. It's only after Jesus was obedient that the dove comes down and we get peace. It's on the way up. 
as we're doing what God wants us to do, that the dove comes. Because peace comes after obedience. It does. Peace comes after obedience. And listen, if, if, if there's an area of your life where you don't have the peace of God in your situation, I want to suggest that God's peace might be awaiting your obedience. It, it might be awaiting your response. But I, but I want to experience the after in the before. I, 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 and so I, I don't have the peace yet, so I'm going to put it off. I'm, I'm going to, Christians love to say, I don't have, I, I'm going to wait till I have a peace about it. No one else in the world talks like this. Only Christians are the only ones with some religious jargon, which is really just us saying, I can't make a decision. The rest of the world deals with it and makes a decision. We say, oh, I, I'm going to wait until I got a peace. Peace did, not, peace did not show up and follow Jesus down. The dove didn't come and say, you got it, you got it, you got it. Get in there, get down. No, no, no. Peace showed up after Jesus was willing to be obedient. Peace showed up as he's coming up out of the water. Peace follows obedience. There is a peace that only obedience can produce in your life. Peace comes after obedience. It only appears after we've said, okay, I'll go down in the water and die. To be raised to new life. Then I get peace. Now, it's important to understand that the, that the love of God, the peace and the love of God are, are different. The love of God does not appear after obedience. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God didn't wait to love us until we would be obedient. Romans says it this way. It says that while I was still a sinner, Christ came and died for me. So listen to me. You, you have, the love of God is available to you before you're ever obedient. But some of y'all have been searching for peace your entire life. Peace for a circumstance, peace for a situation. I'm telling you, it's awaiting your obedience to get peace. And you say, so, I, like, like, just get into a place and say, I, I, I'll join a small group. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be vulnerable in front of people. I don't want to build relationships, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I know that there will be peace after I'm obedient. I, I don't really want to serve other people at church. I don't really want to get there early and, and make the coffee or put the signs out or, or help with the kid. I don't really want, but I'm going to do it because I'm called to be a, a, a vital part of the local church. And when I do that, guess what's going to happen? Peace is going to follow me. I, I don't really feel like or don't think that I can tithe. I couldn't possibly give 10% back to God for what he's done. How would I pay my bills on paper? It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I know that when I do it, it's peace is going to follow. Because peace follows obedience. Listen, stop, stop waiting to feel like it. Stop waiting for everything to line up. Stop waiting for everybody else in your life to be like, yeah, you should, yeah, yeah, you got it. If there's an area of your life where you know that you're not walking in obedience, start right now. Why? Because there's peace for you. God's peace is available to you after obedience. And I love it because... This dove, this Holy Spirit has a mind of his own, and he's crazy quick. In one verse, everything's changed. So Jesus gets baptized, and, and he's coming up out of the water. In verse 11, we read that he's coming up out of the water, and the dove is descending on him. And then immediately, Mark wastes no time. One verse later, it says, and at once, the Spirit sent him into the desert. Immediately, he, he's on the move. 
He's going. He's going different places. He's being driven. And why in the world would that happen? Because it says, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attend. Mark gives us one verse for 40 days. Jesus was in the desert 40 days. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else. Thank God there's, there's other gospels. But why in the world? Why in the world would the same dove that presided over Jesus' baptism, why would the same spirit lead him into a place where the enemy was waiting for him? Why in the world would he do that? Because the, the fourth thing is this, is that temptation always follows validation. Testing always follows validation. Anytime that God speaks purpose or calling or life over you, you will I promise you, you will almost immediately have the opportunity to prove his promise in the desert. What he promised you in the water, you're going to have an opportunity to prove in the desert. Every time. So the same dove that oversaw his baptism pushes him into the desert to be tempted. Why, why lead Jesus to temptation? The very thing that Jesus taught us to pray against. Remember, Jesus taught us this. He taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, all the way through the Lord's Prayer, says, lead us not into Temptation. Why would you lead Jesus to the very thing that he would later tell us to pray against? Because Jesus, listen to me, Jesus was fierce. Jesus knew what was out in the desert. And out in the desert was testing for him that would do something in him that nothing else could. And would prepare him in a way that nothing else could. He knew that he had an opportunity to prove the promise of his father. In what he was doing. And so some of you are not, today, you're, you're not necessarily in the place of preparation. You're not in a place of validation. Some of you all today are in a place of, of temptation. You're in a place of testing. You're in a place that you never thought you'd be. You're in a place that's difficult. You're in a place that's hard. And, and you know that you're in a place, you now know that you're in a place where you can prove the promise of God. Like, like, and and we, you have to understand, Mark is constantly moving Jesus to the, to the cross. He's, he's rapidly moving because Jesus' ultimate calling, his fulfilling his ultimate purpose was going to, Mark doesn't even bother to tell us that Jesus fasted while he was in the desert. Matthew tells us that while he was there, he fasted for 40 days. Mark doesn't even bother to tell us. Mark doesn't even bother to tell us how Jesus was tempted. He just says he was tempted. And that's, that's all the information that we get. Listen, if I had fasted 40 days and I was with wild animals, and being tempted, y'all would have heard about it. I would have shared every trial, every difficulty. I would have, I would have, and listen, the reality is this. Some of y'all are overshares. Listen to me. You spend so much time declaring the difficulty you're walking through that you forget to stop and declare the praises of the one who brought you through it. So stop. You don't, listen to me. You don't have to share it with everybody. Because you share it so often, you forget to declare the praises of the one who brought you through all of it. Mark gives us one verse for 40 days. He's tempted. Listen to me, this is important. Timeline's important. He was tempted, and then the angels came to attend him. The angels did not come to protect him from temptation. They came after it already happened. They came to care for him. We are, we are in such a habit. Listen to me. 21st century American church we're in such a habit of always praying for protection 
angels didn't come attend Jesus to protect him from temptation. They came after him. They came to, they came to care for him. They, they came to attend to him after it had already happened. Why? Because sometimes God wants to use those things in our life to prove his power inside of us. And if we're constantly avoiding it, and if we're constantly praying against it, and we're constantly saying, God, protect me from it. Don't put me in the desert. Don't put me there. You'll never have an opportunity to prove the power of God that lies inside of you. Because the tension will always be this. The enemy will always want you to try, your, to try and find your validation in something other than Jesus. That's what he did to Jesus. We read, we, we read in the other Gospels how he was tempted. He said, Jesus, if you're hungry, eat some bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't need that. I don't, man doesn't live on bread alone. But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't need that. And so saying goes, okay, well then throw yourself off this building. Prove, prove who you are. Prove who you are. And he'll come to you and say, hey, make more money. Work harder. Accomplish more things. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. And you go, no, 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 no. I don't need to prove it. I was validated in the waters already. I don't got to prove anything to you. Jesus said, listen, it's written. I've already, I've already been back. I don't have to prove anything. I already ate. I'm not hungry for that. I'm not hungry for your bread. I'm full. I'm full of God's word. I don't need. And Jesus said, why in the world would I bow to someone who's already under my feet? Jesus knows that he's already been validated. Listen, if you're in a place today where you feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness, and it's stretching you and it's challenging and it's hard, listen to me, you, you may feel lonely, but you're still under an open heaven. God is with you. And, and I wrote this down, and perhaps we need to stop praying for protection and start praying for power. What if Jesus' church, what if God's people, instead of always praying for protection, we began to pray for power instead? What if we began to pray, God, fill me with your spirit, fill me with your power, fill me with your strength. What would happen if the church of Jesus began to pray for power instead of protection? I'm going to show you. Fast forward, Acts chapter 4. The, the early disciples and the apostles are, are being persecuted. And so they've, they've just been brought in and threatened and beaten. And all the religious leaders say, hey, you speak another word about Jesus, I'm throwing you, I'll beat you and kill you. You go back out there, you go to the crowds, and you begin to preach in the name of Jesus again. We will persecute you, we will hunt you down, and we will kill you if you keep calling on and professing the name of Jesus. And so they get together, and I love this. They didn't ask for any protection. Here, I'm going to read it to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, 30. So they're standing together, and they pray, say, Lord. Consider their threats. They just threatened our life. They threatened our livelihood, our peace, our joy, our safety. Uh, they've just threatened all of it. And they don't say, God, please keep us from it. Please make it so that we can, we can spread the gospel quietly and calmly and we don't get caught. They say, God, consider everything they just said to us. And then, in spite of that, enable us to speak more boldly. Consider everything they said, and now make us, fill us with great boldness. 
We don't want to shy away from them. In fact, because they threatened us, we're going to go at them harder. Fill us with both. And then God, stretch out your hand. Would you heal people and do miracles and do signs and wonders through your servant, Jesus? What if the church, what if the 21st century, what if Skyline Church was full of people who would pray, God, consider everything they've said, and in spite of it, fill us with power. Fill us with boldness. Empower us to go and to love and to care and to spread your word. What if we did it? What could happen if we asked for boldness? If we ask for power and not just protection. Because some of the dry places that we would avoid, that we don't want to go to, are the ones that God wants to use most. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of my dysfunctional past? Can anything good come out of my broken relationships can anything good come out of this place that I'm so desperate to get out of listen if you're in there if you're in the middle of it do not bow down and worship something that's less than God don't compromise your value because listen to me your your heavenly father stands with his voice and says son daughter I validate you I'm pleased with you I love you. Don't give in. Listen, don't turn the stone into bread just yet. Because on the other side of this, there's strength. I'm going to show you. We'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen, after, not before, after you have suffered a while, after you've walked through the season you never wanted to, after you've been in the place you didn't want to be in, after you've walked through it, God himself will restore you and make you strong and steadfast. Jesus understood that our strength could only come after his suffering. That we'd only be able to stand right with our Heavenly Father, to walk in our purpose after he suffered through us. What if, what if we, what if we saw fierce Jesus? What if his church, what if his people became a fierce church, passionate about the same things that Jesus was passionate about? Let me pray for us. Will you stand right where you are? Stand right where you are. Don't move. Let's honor this moment. Every head bowed, every heart open right now. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you are fierce. And yes, Jesus, you told us to, to love our neighbor. You told us not to judge. You told us to go the extra, extra mile. Jesus, you also called us to some difficult things. You called us to suffer. You called us to, to stand in boldness. Jesus, you thank you that you were so fierce that you put death in the grave. But you were unwilling 
have heaven without us. So you gave your life. Here's what I want to do. Every head bowed, every heart open, I want to do what we do every single week. I want to give us an opportunity to respond. Because right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of us. And some of us for the first time are getting a much clearer picture of who Jesus is. Maybe for the first time we're understanding. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now and is, is pointing to you the area of your life where you haven't been walking in obedience. He's saying, hey, son, daughter, if you walk in obedience, there's peace. Or some of us are walking through a trial, a difficulty. And you're thinking it's not going to end. You're not sure what's going to come of this. And you know that you need some strength in the middle of your situation. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. So if that's you this morning, I don't want to put a spotlight on you. I do want to pray for you. So right now in this moment, if you're saying, Pastor, I, I know there's an area of my life where I need to begin to walk in obedience. There's an area of my life where I need peace. There's an area of my life where I need strength. There's an area of my life where I need the very presence and help and spirit of Jesus. I want to be able to pray for you. So right now, if that's you, under the sound of my voice, I just want you to put your hand up as, as high and as boldly as you can in the face. Say, Pastor, that's me. Hands everywhere. Keep them up. Keep them up. Right now, you're saying, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I see him. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. All across this room. All across, every every single one of you, I see him. Keep him up right now. I see him. Keep him up. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you for every single person. Lord, this whole place where hands are raised, side to side, front to back, Jesus, every hand that's raised right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to move. And where, where there needs strength, there would be strength. Where we need obedience, there would be obedience. Where we need peace, there would be peace. Jesus, where we need your presence, where we need your spirit, where we need your very self to show up and to move. Jesus, I pray right now for every hand that's raised, that in this moment, you're going to rush in with peace and with hope and with joy and with rest and with restoration and with salvation. Lord, you're going to move and you're going to say, son, daughter, you've already been validated. I already love you. I'm already pleased with you because I'm in relationship with you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are. I am standing with arms wide open saying, son, daughter, come home. I have rest. And I have peace, and I have joy, and I have hope, and I have strength waiting for you. Jesus, thank you that you are fierce, that you ran after us, that when I was a sinner, you came and died for me, that you put death in the grave, and we can stand and say, death, where is your victory? It doesn't have it. The victory lies in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help your church to be fierce. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your great, in your mighty name. Come on, church. About 25 people just made an amazing decision this morning. Let's celebrate Jesus.